Go ahead and have, open your Bibles to keep them open there at 2 Corinthians 12. Um, primarily, we'll be looking at the last three verses of this chapter. Uh, but the fa- family dynamic has many layers to it. Uh, the family dynamic, uh, relationships in general, have multiple layers. Have you ever felt taken for granted? Uh, people taking you for granted? Parents, have you ever struggled with frustration that it seems your children are not grateful for all that you do or have done for them? Maybe as an adult and possibly as a parent, now you look back at your upbringing and you realize that your parents were actually right uh, in a variety of ways. I know there are times now in my life I look back and like, wow, my parents were a lot more right than I thought they were. (laughs) But in so many ways, uh, the church, church relationships can be so similar. Pastors can be taken for granted. Biblical advice from another believer or church leader is dismissed. Church family members begin to listen to outside noises and begin to listen to advice that goes contrary to Scripture, but have been deceived into thinking it is true. When you really think about it, because church is made up of people, not a building, not though we meet in a building, church is messy. The title of, the, the title of this sermon is A Messy Church. It's messy because people are messy. People are messy because sin is messy. Paul dealt with messy in a big way in dealing with the church in Corinth. We don't have the time. I'm not going to take the time to do a a theology of history on the church of Corinth, but it was a very immoral city, and the church itself dealt with a lot of immorality in and of itself. Paul dealt with it in 1 Corinthians 5, where he's dealing with... uh, wrong relationships within a family Uh, and there's multiple things if you read through the book of the letter of first corinthians you see paul over and over and over again telling the corinthian believers where they were wrong he was correcting them and much of the time in second corinthians there's some of that as well paul had a heart for the corinthian church There are people, such as the Judaizers, who are constantly trying to derail the preaching of the gospel in Corinth. Paul had shared with the church in Corinth now through two visits. How do we know that he's already been there twice? Because we see in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 12, it says what? Here for this third time I am ready to come to you. So he's ready, he wants to come back to the city of Corinth a third time. He wants to come and meet them and and be with them a third time. Paul had a huge heart for the city of Corinth, the church in Corinth. So the whole first letter to the Corinthian church detailed the ripe immorality and passiveness to take care of sin in the church. Because it wasn't just that there were sinners sinning in the church, but there was unconfessed sin going on in the church. Sin wasn't being dealt with. And here in this second letter, he expresses a similar concern for more specifically a genuine devotion to Christ. So not just that that sin is is being taken care of, but that they would have a genuine devotion to Christ. And so we clearly see that Paul has a heart for the Corinthian church, and it was a heart that was heavy. His love for them motivated him to not let them slide by in their sin. And so in our specific texts this morning, Paul challenges them with their lack of living in holiness before God. It strained him emotionally to see the church in Corinth struggling with sin in their lives. 
And Paul begins to defend his own ministry. And what you see in the first part of 2 Corinthians 12 here is he's defending himself. He's defending the ministry that God had called him to. And so this morning our application really is two-pronged. Our application can be seen from two different perspectives wrapped up in one big idea. The two different perspectives come from one, that Paul's view of sin among church members, and two, the believer's lack of repentance over sin in their life. And so Paul is writing here, and he's, 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 we see here in this letter, we see that Paul's view of sin among the church, he has a strong view of sin being in the church. And then with that, we see the believer's lack of repentance over sin. And so really the one big idea that results is this, that ministering to one another on a spiritual level is necessary for growth in Christ. Ministering to one another on a spiritual level is necessary for growth in Christ. I think this is one area where we struggle as Christians. I truly believe this. If I were to ask for a raise of hands this morning about how many of you enjoy opening your heart up and your mind, your life up, and letting people know where you struggle with sin, and letting them know where you have failed in sin, I don't know if our hands would really go up. Why is that? Well, it's because we're selfish, proud people. An invitation at the end of a service is not as popular today as it used to be, and there's nothing right or wrong about an invitation. It's not something that is built into Scripture, that it has to be something at the end of a service. But I remember those moments. And I'll, and I'll reach out to that, and using that kind of as an illustration later on as well. But we need to be ministering to one another and letting uh, and, and encouraging one another, building one another up spiritually. And so the first part of this, really, I want us to, as we think about this text, though, at the same time, I want us to look at it from Paul's perspective here. Paul lays out in verses 19 through 21 some actual sin that, that, was, uh, that very potentially was in the church at Corinth that the church of Corinth was struggling with. But I want us to look at, at this from Paul's perspective, not so much the church in Corinth's perspective. Because I think we need to have the heart of Paul here. And the first, there's only two points to the, the message this morning. The first one is this, that we must have a strong, loving, and edifying concern over sin in others' lives. We must have a strong, loving, and edifying concern over sin in others' lives. If we're to minister to one another on a spiritual level, you and I need to have a strong love and an edifying concern. And I put the word edifying in there because I think it's important. And it's also from the text we see it in verse 20. I'm sorry, at the end of verse 19, the word upbuilding. But we see that if we are going to minister to one another on a spiritual level and we want to see people spirit, grow spiritually, we need to have that edifying concern for one another. We need to have a strong burden to come alongside the other, the other Christians and help them grow in their walk with Christ. I love sports. I love the fact that the city of Detroit is actually having some success. 
Finally. We'll see how long it lasts. I love that that the University of Michigan is being successful. I love all these different things about sports. And I could talk till I'm blue in the face about sports. And for you, it might be something else. And we love it. We, 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 we get passionate about those things. But when was the last time you just got passionate about diving into each other's spiritual lives and growing, helping one another grow? It's scary because that means we have to open ourselves up. Being open is not, is not easy. It also implies that we have to be broken over our sin. Paul had such a strong burden to see the Corinthian church live righteously. Paul's concerns were at a pastoral level of concern. A pastor is a shepherd and is a guide, lead. He's there to lead, to prod, to correct and to protect their sheep. Paul understood that many would possibly or were actually viewing his letter as a personal defense. We, as, as Bob read through this chapter, you can hear Paul seemingly defending himself, his ministry. And in some ways he was concerned because it was, it was a personal defense of his ministry, but Paul's purpose here was not a self a self-confirming, a self-promoting, a self-grandizing... Oh, that's a really big word. Um, grandizing of himself. He didn't want that. He didn't want that at all. Paul here was, had a heavy, burdened heart for the church in Corinth to grow spiritually. He wasn't here to promote a message of, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. That's not how we're to come to... And, and so, if that's how Paul is addressing the church of Corinth, he's not addressing them out of pride. Did he know more? Did, by God's grace, God was using him in a specific way? Yeah, there were certain things that Paul knew that these individuals did not know. Was he further along in his walk with the Lord than many of the people he was writing to? Yes, he was. But what is Paul in verse 19? How does he say they come to him? He said he's coming to them. He says, actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. It's not my authority that I've been speaking to you by. It is by God's authority. It's the authority of Christ that I've been speaking to you. And I'm writing to you. That I'm encouraging you. It's not me. It's not about me. Life is not about me. And Paul did that with the churches in Galatia as well. Paul, I'm sorry, Paul was very heavy-handed with the churches in Galatia. Do you remember what he says at the beginning of the letter to the Galatian churches, that region? He says, he calls them what? A bunch of fools. There's no greeting. And there's a typical greeting in all of Paul's letters. But the one letter that he does not have his typical encouraging greeting is in the, church, the letter to the Galatian churches. Why? Because he needed to get right to it and let them know that they weren't living right. But here in the church, of, look at how he comes says, All this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding. Verse 20, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come. So he says, perhaps. He's using a, a word of possibility. He's saying, perhaps when I come to you, 
I may find you not to be what I wish. So he's actually speaking positively. He's not even saying that he knows for sure that, that the Corinthian believers are living this way. He has such a strong concern for them that he's saying, perhaps, he's saying, maybe. He, want, he had a heavy, he's coming really with a soft hand here. He's not coming over and just beating them over the head with where they were wrong. And you know what? Ministry gets messy. People are messy. Look at verse 20. At the end of verse 20. He gives a list of things here. See, serving others is messy, sad, happy, stressful, elating, discouraging, and joyful. Ministering to people, disciple-making, whatever term you want to use for it, doing the Christian life is messy, and it's a roller coaster. How many of you have ever invested in somebody and, and hours upon hours only to see that person walk away from the Lord? Or maybe it's the opposite. They grow, and they're growing leaps and bounds, and you get excited over it. Well, in these verses, we see aspects of sin. And, and we see here that Paul was fearful of some things. He says, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not, to be not what I wish. The first thing that he was fearful of was that he would show up and that they would be living in sin. Paul was fearful of that. He was concerned about it. When you, when you interact with the people in your church, amongst your own church family, are you concerned that they're living right? That when you see them, that they be living right? I'm saying we walk around with a, oh, woe is me kind of mentality. But Paul was saying, if I come and see you, I'm, a, I, I, I'm, I'm fearful that I may find you not to be how I want you to be living. And he gives these lists of sins. The idea, what, he, what is he fearful of? One thing he's fearful of is this. That they had fallen into strife. This idea of strife is the idea of quarreling and arguing. It entails the act of sowing discord and disunity. Paul was concerned that the church in Corinth be a church that is unified. that there wasn't quarreling and arguing. It does not benefit the church. It does not benefit your church if there is quarreling and arguing in the church. No matter how big or small it is, it's not worth arguing over. As parents, how many times have you had to say that to your children? It's not worth arguing over. Sometimes I wonder why my six-year-old tries to argue with my three-and-a-half-year-old or my eight-year-old tries to argue with my six-year-old or eight-year-old with a three-and-a-half-year-old. Like, he's three-and-a-half. Just let it go. So he thinks it's this and it's not. Big deal. Or sometimes I'm like, your three-and-a-half-year-old brother is right. You're wrong. <laughs> but there can't be quarreling and arguing in the church. 
You know, we talk about all the time that it shouldn't be in the family. But that sometimes we even, weirdly enough, we, we divorce the idea of how a family is to be from a church family. And in many ways, it's the same thing. It's still a family. Jealousy. The idea Paul is speaking of here would relate to the idea of really party or group factions. 1 Corinthians 1.11-13 says, For I have been informed concerning you, brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? There were literally party factions going on in the church in Corinth. And they were jealous over, okay, I'm of this person. I'm the, there's genuine jealousies, and we can't have that in the church. Are you concerned in making sure that there is unity in the church? That people are not. The next one here is the idea of angry tempers. This deals with the outburst of anger and outburst of passion. If you know of someone in your church family that struggles with this, are you letting it just, oh, he'll figure it out. Someone else will talk to him. Or her. It's not my responsibility. It is your responsibility. God has not called us to do to Christian life by ourselves. And so Paul's concern is that the, that the believers are not living this way. Do you have the concern of Paul? Are you that concerned? Disputes, this is the word Paul uses here, is referring to personal disputes. It refers to selfishness in a rivalry sense. It's the idea of resentfulness. Slander, this entails speaking evil and abusive of others. Gossip, it really is this idea, the word here is the idea of whispering, a quietness of behind. See, really, it's a secret speaking ill of others and attacking others secretly. And it may not be towards someone in the church, but do, are there people in the church that struggle with talking like this about other people even outside the church? Arrogance. An inflated view of one's self-importance. It's the idea of conceit and pride. This idea of disturbances, which was a unique word when I first was studying this. It's like, what is disturbances? I've had people walk out of the service on me, so, I mean, you know. Is that what it's talking about? And I use that as a silly illustration. Uh, there was a time in Illinois when I was pastoring down there. As a pastor, I actually... As soon as I got up to preach, the lady got up and walked out. <laughs> it wasn't because she had to use the restroom. Because <laughs> she was literally mad at me. For what? I don't know. But things like that, is, is that he's concerned that the church not be unruly, really a mob-like action, public disorder, these are all sinful behaviors that Paul was fearful that the church was practicing. Likewise, we need to be alert and concerned that not just these, but other sins may be present in the church amongst the people. Are you concerned and are you alert to looking out for one another on a spiritual level? 
Are you willing and so concerned that you, you are, not that you're looking for people to fall in sin. <laughs> That's not what I'm getting at. But are you so concerned with building relationships with one another that, you know what, when someone does come up to you and says, hey, I, I see you're slipping with something. It seems like there's something off here. How are you doing spiritually? I saw you kind of irritated the other day for nothing. Why? What's going on? Are we willing to confront sin amongst one another? Paul was so concerned that sin not... He's like, I am fearful that when I come, I will not find you as I wish. Which leads to the second fear Paul had. Because he didn't want to have to show up and, and rebuke them. He didn't want... How many of you like it when... And children, you, how many of you like it when you hear your parents say, when you get home, you're getting in trouble? <laughs> None of us like that feeling. Or you know that there's a rebuke coming. Or if you've ever been to a Bible college campus and you're asked to go to the dean's office. It's not joyful to be having to do the rebuking. So we shouldn't, Paul, we see here that, that if we're looking at this from Paul's perspective, we shouldn't be excited to go confront someone about sin. Paul was, hesit Paul was, was really not, not, I'm loss of words for what, the word I want to use here, but he's not apprehensive because he's willing to do it, but he doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't want to have to do it. But he's willing to do it because he cares. It's not to point out sin, it's because he loves you. He loves the, the, the church people with the love of Christ. Which leads to the second fear Paul had. The second fear Paul had was that he would be humiliated by God before the Corinthians. If you're like me, you look at that phrase and you're like, what in the world is that talking about? <laughs> That God, that that Paul was cons was afraid that God would humiliate him. So in our in our culture, if I were to say, you know what, I'm going to humiliate Mike. Is that really? Is that a positive phrase? And is anything in that statement sounding positive? No. Why? Because in our mind, we think of the word humiliate, and when we think of that phrase, we're like, how is God going? To, God doesn't sin. So how is it, so clearly that can't be something that's in that line of thinking. He's not going to make fun of Paul. He's not going to attack Paul's character. So what is Paul talking about here? What Paul is talking about here is that if Paul shows up and sees the sin of the Corinthians, God would humble Paul through seeing through him seeing their sinfulness. It ought to humble us when we see others struggling with sin. It would bring Paul low because the Corinthian Christians had not lived out the biblical teaching they had received from Paul. And so in, in, one re, in some regard, it would be as, uh, as you, as a parent, teaching your children to do what's right, and you, they come back for a visit, and, or you go visit them as an adult, and you see that they're not living for the Lord. Does that not humble you and make you wonder what you need? What, is there something that... It, I should have done differently. 
Did I approach it properly? I think it has this idea that Paul was literally brought low, realizing that it wasn't about Paul. The spiritual growth of, of the church in Corinth wasn't him that did the channel. It was God, God and his spirit and his word that did the work. It wasn't Paul. And Paul didn't want to have to go through, didn't want to go through the, the sadness of seeing the Corinthian believers struggling in sin. Which then led to his third fear that involved that of mourning over the Corinthian Christians' unrepentant sin. says, it may be found by you to not be what you wish. In other words, he was concerned about them not finding, finding him uh, with that first fear. I forgot to mention this phrase, but it really is this idea that Paul was fearful, yes, of finding them living in sin, which then would, what? By them being in sin, would find him to be rebuking. That's not how they wanted him to come. How many of you want someone that you may have looked up to spiritually or have to come and rebuke you? And that's... There were times where my dad was like, Hey, Aaron, you want to go with me to the store today? And I know that I hadn't had my devotions that morning. And I knew he was going to ask me about my devotions. And so I quickly go read a psalm before we got in the car so I could give him an answer. Why? Which wasn't really an answer, because it's not really devotions. But it, that's what that idea there is of Paul, them finding Paul not as they wish. But Paul's third fear here, we see this in verse 21, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented. If you think of the history of the church of Corinth, remember 1 Corinthians and all the things that were going on in 1 Corinthians. Paul's saying, I am fearful that if I come, there's the possibility that I may find you, those of you in the church that are living in unrepentant sin. And here Paul is writing and saying, I'm fearful of that. I'm fearful of that. Paul was fearful that when he arrived that the Corinthian Christians would still be living in the cultural lifestyle of the pagan and hedonistic culture that permeated Corinth. It would be foolish of us as Christians to think that in our 21st century that some of that stuff would not creep into our lives as Christians in the church. It looks different than... It takes on a little bit of a different facade than it did at this point in Paul's, Paul's ministry, but we still deal with sinfulness and wickedness, trying to walk, creep into the church, into our lives as Christians. When you see someone that is not repenting of sin, are you mourning over that sin? When was the last time you were just in tears over the sin of another brother or sister in Christ? where the sin just broke you. And I'm not saying that it has to be some egregious sin. As a parent, I, as in studying this passage, how often, it's a challenge to me, how often am I highly concerned and even broken over the sin of my own kids? 
Paul literally mourned over all the unrepentant sinners, not just some of them. He would mourn over those who persisted in sin up to the present time, over those who chose not to repent after his second visit. Paul was humbly concerned with every sinner. He was concerned about having to have a painful visit rather than a joyful visit. See, none of us like confrontation. When I was a senior in high school, we went on a senior trip and we were at a theme park in West Virginia and some of my friends, I'm sorry, in Virginia, not West Virginia, but some of my friends were, I was with us, we had split up into multiple groups and a couple groups, I should say, and a couple of my classmates were speaking improperly. Wrong conversations. Clearly sinful conversations. So another guy that I that was with us and I, when we got to the tram that kind of goes over the, the theme park, we just stayed on it or got off or something like that and, and separated from them. I got home, told my dad about it, and he, my dad rebuked me for not responding as Paul responded. My dad asked me, are you concerned with the sin of their, in their life? Are you concerned with them living right? Like, yeah. It's not how you acted. You let them continue in their sin. See, as believers, how loving is that to let another believer continue in their sin? And so I, my dad gave me the challenge of going and apologizing to those four classmates. That was hard. Paul did not like it either, but he still saw the importance of building each other up in Christ. He didn't want to confront them. He didn't, wasn't excited about it. But if it was necessary, he would do it. I do not believe that we as Christians confront sin in one another enough. All too often, by the time we begin the process of confronting sin, the sin is festered and taken root that it is, as Paul described here, in the fear of having to be firm and direct, not as they wanted him to be in all reality of being more gentle. If you think about the process that is laid out for church discipline even, if you want to take this to the extreme situations. You know how much of those situations wouldn't happen if we did this? I think there'd be a drastically less opportunity for people to live in sin and walk away and live in rebellion against God as if this was happening. If we were doing, having the concern of Paul And why does he say he does all this? For the very purpose of upbuilding, for edifying. And so if we're going to look at this, we must then, take in, looking at the end of verse 21, we must personally make repentance of sin a habit in our lives. Repentance is vital. Why is Paul, why is Paul mourning? He's mourning here. As we think of a messy church 
and church is messy, but we think of ministering to one another. You know, and as we seek to minister to others, we need to have the heart of Paul. We need to have this mindset of mourning over sin. So when there is sin in our own lives, we need to repent of it. Looking at it a little bit from the other perspective, the, the church in Corinth, what there are believers that were unrepentant. And it hurt the church. It, it, it split the church. There was unity, not dis, there was disunity and sin in the church. So repentance over sin is vital for the believer. See, the first perspective is how we ought to be relating to each other. It is us impacting others to the glory of God. This second perspective of this text is to do a self-evaluation of our lives regarding sin. Because really, the, the text really does continue on into verse 13. And we see Paul's further concern for them. What does he tell them? Look at verse uh, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. So he's challenging the church at Corinth to examine themselves. So I give us the same challenge this morning. Examine ourselves. Where is there sin in our own life? Even just looking back at the list that Paul gives here at the end of chapter 12, is there any element of those that are in our that is in our life. Is there another brother or sister in Christ that we see that in their life? Or maybe it's something else. He's proactive in writing this letter, challenging them to repent. We need to be repentant over our sin. For all of us here this morning, we can look at this passage from these two perspectives and we really should be identifying with both. Because both of us give the same conclusion that we need to be faithful in our ministry by having a loving concern and edification for the saints. Yes, life is messy. It's not fun. As a camp counselor, having to counsel some of the kids I counseled, it wasn't fun. Counseling a kid who was cutting himself, that's not fun to deal with. In fact, there's a, current, currently there's an individual that God has brought across our path into our church who's got a messy life. 22-year-old guy. Messy, messy life. And I and two others are directly discipling this young man. One specific, one, one man, a single man in our church is really spending hours and hours and hours with him. I've gotten phone calls at 10.30 at night from this guy. Selfish in my own flesh, have I always wanted to receive the phone calls? No. It can be messy, it can be frustrating, it can be sad all at the same time and rejoicing at the same time. But we need to love one another. 
We need to be serving one another. We need to be exerting all of our energy looking for the redemptive opportunities that God wants for us. Because in doing this, we will experience the fear of someone falling in sin, rejecting the gospel, and potentially walking away from Christ. And this should not deter us as we experience these things. There's one uh, pastor that told me that as the more their church grew, and really this disciple-making life, this idea of coming alongside one another and building one another up and really building one-on-one relationships with one another, the pastoral staff was doing less and less biblical counseling. And he said to us, you know why that's happening? Because all the counseling is happening on the other, on, on, so to speak, on the one-to-one level, and they're coming to us asking us how to counsel them, not to do the counseling. Can you imagine the energy and the the spiritual life in a church when that is happening? I truly believe the more we as a church follow Paul's example, the closer our church family will grow to Christ and one another. When you see attitudes, as Paul mentions in our text this this morning, or others that are not mentioned here, take the time to do one another ministry. You cannot go throughout the New Testament without seeing that it is a one another ministry. It's not you on your own trying to do what's right. Paul finishes this letter here in 2 Corinthians by giving positive attitudes for them to live out rather than the disobedient attitudes he mentioned earlier in chapter 12. Look at verse 11 of chapter 13. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's what the church should be like. That's what we should be encouraging one another to. See, we should have the heart of Paul. Look in verse 9 of 13. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. He's praying for the believers to be made complete. The end of verse 10. In accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. He is writing these things even when he's not there, not to be harsh-handed, but to build them up. See, ministering to one another on a spiritual level is necessary for growth in Christ. If we as believers are going to grow spiritually, we've got to be doing it together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your wonderful name. Lord, I thank you for this text of Scripture. Thank you for the challenge that it brings. So, Lord, I do pray that we as believers would do just this, that we would have the heart of Paul concerned over one another, that we would look to build one another up in Christ-likeness and help keep one another accountable from sin. It is in your name we pray. Amen.